Welcome back to Actors with Issues. I'm your host, Juan Ayala. Today's guest is Dominican-born, Miami-raised dancer, actor, and Broadway performer Marlon Feliz, who most recently appeared in the revival of West Side Story. Marlon, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning and um, tell us how you got started uh, performing and how that eventually led to Broadway. <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely a surprising road at every step. I always like to say that um, I really started dancing with my father. I say that he's my first dance partner because that's true. There are mm. photos of me like standing on his feet, learning how to <laughs> dance salsa and merengue and bachata yeah. because I come from a Dominican family. And yeah. um, that's really the heart and soul, I think, of where my dancing came from. Like, um, so it, it's a, it was a social thing for me, mm. a very intimate thing, cultural thing. And then I got into some classes a little bit, what's considered kind of late for a lot of dancers <laughs> and sort of like, I think I was eight or nine. It was like an after school care program at mm. my elementary school. I had done a couple of years of gymnastics when I was really little. And apparently, I don't remember this, but my mother asked me when they were sort of giving me a choice between investing more heavily, like four days a week, they were like, your daughter has real potential, like, but she has to commit to much more training mm. in gymnastics if she wants to do that. Apparently, we had been having a once a week dance class as part of our training. And apparently I told my mother, I think I like the dancing better, <laughs> uh. but I don't even remember that. So my mom, my mom did. And she said, okay, well, why don't we put you in some dance classes instead if you don't want to go really hard with the mm. gymnastics. Um, and that's what we did. And I've just never stopped since I loved those after school care classes. And in Miami, I was just really lucky that there were, magnet middle schools so these like public middle schools that also had special programs that you could audition or apply for yeah. in the arts and also otherwise like there were magnets in journalism and all kinds of stuff so i ended up getting into a magnet middle school with a dance program it was south miami middle school and that teacher who was leading that program was really intense but i think awesome just like mm. uh, a really strong presence for that beginning level of my training and then from there, I moved on, I auditioned and made it into the New World School of the Arts, which is a very um, well-known art school down in Miami. It's, I like to say it's kind of like the LaGuardia High School. <laughs> <laughs> the fame school in Miami. <laughs> right. There's now more, there's actually more competition now or just or more opportunity in that yeah. realm in Miami. I think there's other schools now that are also offering that kind of training. But New World was really fundamental for me, for my training. It was uh, like... Um, just the most intense ballet and classic modern dance training I had. Mm. And I joined a dance studio in eighth grade. So the year right before I got into New World um, and got into more like hip hop, jazz, commercial dance and like convention scene for a few years. Yeah. And by that point it was like, you know, I was really on the like pre-professional track. And then my last year my last couple of years of high school. Um, I was always very academic. So I really knew that I'd be going to college. I looked forward to that, mm. but it became a real choice of whether I was gonna prioritize my other academic interests or my dance training. Yeah. And I just knew in my heart that like, I still wanted to study academics, but I had to keep, keep leveling up dance wise. Um, so luckily I ended up making it to NYU to School of the Arts. Mm did their BFA dance program, 
enjoyed you know every minute of that whole experience doing like conservatory style training plus outside academics and I just loved my whole university experience and from there I got out into the world and I was really um very green <laughs> like <laughs> I had an idea of what I was trained for which was the like classic modern dance company situation yeah. but that's a very challenging um, industry to survive in, even just from a financial standpoint. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like there's less opportunity in that realm um, than, in other, than in other aspects of the industry. So I just immediately, within that first year, started to crack open and look beyond that. I was still very much interested in modern dance. I still, at my heart, am a modern dancer, but mm. I just sort of quickly decided I could do other things as well. Um, mm. And basically since then I've done like a whole hit list of things. <laughs> I did a cruise ship, did like swing, dance, jazz. Yeah. I did aerial work on that first ship, which was super exciting. Um, and then from there I came back and I connected with Palabalus. So they're a very you know unique modern dance theater mm. company. And I've done a bunch of touring with them internationally and not in nationally in their Shadowland shows. Then that sort of led me into like loving the theater acting aspect of performing. And I said, well, why don't I explore musical theater? <laughs> and moved into that realm for a bit. And for a while I was going back and forth between Palabos work and musical theater, which is a total, I don't know if I can curse, but like- <laughs> Absolutely, go ahead. <laughs> okay, it was like a total mind fuck to go back and forth between yeah. Palabos modern dance theater and like musical theater like beveling. Yeah. <laughs> but I, if, I found it really, interesting to just like challenge myself in those different ways and I enjoyed the real storytelling of musicals and the, yeah. I really was interested in getting to sing more and yeah. <laughs> explore that um and that is what eventually led me to Broadway because I spent sort of like four years whenever I was not touring with Palabos or working with them auditioning all the time for musical theater yeah. stuff and and did I did another ship where I did musicals there so um yeah, it's, it's just been like a really wild ride, like constantly yeah. looking for new opportunities. <laughs> um, while you were at NYU and um, at your high school, were you also sort of taking like voice lessons or are you sort of one of those people that I am always jealous of with such a like a raw, natural talent of singing? <laughs> um, I don't know how much raw, natural talent <laughs> of singing I have. I will say I always had raw natural interest, um, but okay. I did not have voice lessons as part of my dance training. It's sort of something I wish looking back that I had had the forethought to, uh -huh. to look into. I, I do remember growing up, I had a best friend who was studying uh, choir and vocal performance like mm. I was studying dance. Um, so when we were kids, like we would just sing Nelly Furtado, like <laughs> I'm like a bird. Like I have memories of doing that just as yeah. a kid for fun. But that I didn't train it. I um, my last year at NYU, there was like an elective that you could mm. somehow get, and I did do one semester of vocal training. So I okay. think it just like planted the seed. Mm. But it was totally self-directed, and I really had no idea what I was doing. But I just found it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't until I then, a couple of years later, out of school, was on my first ship. It was a Royal Caribbean ship that I was, you know, clearly a dancer, but we were in shows with singers. Mm. And they had musical theater backgrounds and they were like, you know, Marlon, <laughs> if you enjoy singing, you have a decent voice. 
and you're really a great dancer, you will find plenty of work if you just work on the vocal part. Mm-hmm. So it's something I've had to do very piecemeal yeah. between contracts because it is an expensive thing to, to pursue as Train. an adult. Yeah. But um, yeah. I'll Gosh. leave it to the real singers to tell me. <laughs> I, have, I just I just know I enjoy it, and I think I have a I have a decent a decent voice to start with, and yeah. a pretty pretty decent ear. I mean, yeah, because as a dancer, you have you know obviously you have rhythm, and that's something that's very hard to train. Like if someone ooh, just ooh. can't, if they're the ones clapping on the offbeat, then it's all hope is lost. Um, yeah, I'm amazed by those people. I'm like, how do you not hear the beat? <laughs> <laughs> I really, I want to like study them because I'm just like, yeah, it's so intriguing. I always ask if if you ever experience moments of like, of of doubt or questioning, you know, because it's always been obviously when when you're on, uh, like when you're on a ship or on a contract or you know, obviously whenever like for the TV folks, whenever they're on set, there's no doubt in their mind this is what they want to do. But once you hit a lull or a or a plateau, even that's when that sort of doubt starts to set in. So do you ever experience stuff like that? And then, you know, just to share with our listeners, how did you overcome it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think I know a single performer who doesn't have that. And if they say they've never had that moment, I think they're lying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. For me, it's come in. It's, I think there's like two different ways that has appeared for me. I think when I was younger and I was training hard, especially towards the end of high school, um, the question wasn't whether I wanted to or whether I felt in my heart that I was, that I had to pursue it. It very, it was a clear directive. I asked myself at one point, like, are you really going to go for this? And the mantra that came to my mind was, I can't not go Mm. for it. Like I just, it was a a calling in that way. Yeah. But the doubt I had for me was just, am I good enough? Am I going to be good enough Mm. to, to do it, to quote unquote, make it. Um, so I definitely grappled with that. I even in college, I think I was growing so much that that, that doubt would just subside and I would just get enough as I kept growing. I felt like I was always maybe underestimated to start, but I worked really hard and my heart was so in it that even, you know, by the end of my high school years or by the end of my college years, I felt like any professor who wasn't sure about me or anyone who was I feel like at that point, if they saw me long enough, like there was Mm. such clear progress and passion that there was usually some kind of validation and support Mm. that helped me just enough to keep going. It was never a like big validation, but it was like just enough. Mm. Um, So that helped certainly the just like consistent effort moving forward. but then towards the end of college, I definitely grappled with this sense. It's sort of transitioned from, am I good enough to um, sort of like anxiety and panic in, <laughs> in moments of pressure, right? Like the final big show or in the first few years of bu- developing my career. And even most recently, it happened to me still mentally, like with making my Broadway debut, that, that fear bubbles up of like oh my god I'm gonna freak out or I'm gonna blank out on stage and I'm gonna ruin everything like that kind of anxiety like doom squirrel and I I will say that what has really helped me to deal with that is um like mindfulness and my yoga practice the fact that I did a my final year of school I did a yoga teacher training program 
with the yoga teacher who was a part of our Tish Dance program. Her name's Tara Marie Perry, highly recommend her. She was a dancer herself. Um, so that practice, learning to really work with the mind to take just enough distance from it that you're observing it and you stop identifying with it so much, sort of set the foundation for me to explore that. Um, and I've started, I've developed tools for that, which is like to reframe, for example, some of those things that come up for me. Mm. So when those thoughts come up, I try to get into my body immediately. I focus on my breath. I'll just like bounce my knees. I'll try and really ground myself physically. And I talk back to myself. Mm. I literally will, like, just like you have that inner critic, I also yeah. think we have this even deeper you can call it a spiritual voice, but a, your higher self, whatever it is, this like really grounded voice that, that guides us in big moments. And I, I lean on that and I, I sort of tell myself, no, you absolutely deserve this. You deserve to be here. You've worked, like, you've got this. Sometimes I need it to be more sassy. So sometimes yeah. I just be like, you're a fucking badass and you're about <laughs> to feel this. Like, but whatever it is that I need energetically, I try to then talk that back to myself yeah so that's been a useful tool just like finding mantras for sure things that i can literally say to myself say it out loud ground in the breath and body and i think having an outside practice where you're connecting with yourself that's not about your career like my yoga even if i don't practice physically the philosophy of that practice is now permanently with me so that has been super useful and I always recommend it to people. And it's like, it's not about learning to be flexible and strong, you know, <laughs> do that for you. And I totally support that. But yeah. um, for me, the huge power of it was really the, the mindfulness part. Yeah. Um, gosh, that, yeah, that imposter syndrome can, can be a real bitch. <laughs> for real. Yeah, yeah. That's gosh, that's something that I am confident every single performer has dealt with that sort of um, mentality of like, what on earth am I doing here? Who let me in here? Like, you know, cause especially when we're, you know, for the folks like myself included that, you know, have had those moments of like, am I ever going to be good enough? And then you're like, wait, is this a fluke? Like who, like, you know, who let me in here? <laughs> like, how, yeah. you know, uh, I'm very much not a dancer. Um, I, you know, went to school, I went to a tiny community college in my home state of Connecticut for theater arts. It was very much an acting and a drama based program, mm -hmm. which I was very grateful for because, you know, being Latino, went to Pentecostal church growing up, very loud, music heavy church. So I grew up singing a lot and that led to musical theater, which led to just straight up theater and whatnot had no formal dance training if i ever did a show it was like this most minimal like musical staging wasn't dancing like park and bark situation right yeah exactly <laughs> park and bark my favorite um or you know it's like the phantom of the opera type of choreography mm -hmm. where it's like masquerade they put their hand over their face and then it goes up like the most just minimal clean sharp but very minimal emotive uh, gestures right i'm a mover i move well um but, you know, so it's just so funny to hear, not funny, but it's just really interesting to hear that, not that I ever doubted it, but, you know, every, just every type of performer, everyone in this industry has dealt with that in some way, shape or form of that, am I good enough? And, you know, even with, um, you have a, a rather extensive background, like you said, you did gymnastics and then 
that led to sort of all these other facets of similar things. And even with your culture, like you mentioned, growing up, uh, dancing with your dad, like it's sort of like, you know, back to your roots. So how did it feel sort of going back to your roots for West Side Story with that, like, you know, iconic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like. like I can't think of a better show to, to, for, to for you to debut in. Exactly. I just had that moment when I got the email and I just stood in place, just mouth open and was like clutching my mouth, like clutching my pearls. Um, (laughs) And it took a while to sink in, but it's exactly what you just said. There was part of me was just like, this, this is so well aligned. I could never have planned or predicted how perfectly aligned this feels um, in, in so many ways. The fact that I got to be, that I was a Latinx actor in this show, that fact that it's so iconic, the fact that then in this very different revival, we're working with a super contemporary choreographer from Europe, uh, Anna Teresa de Kiersmacher, who is so not typical of musical theater world and ties directly into my college training Mm -hmm. it it was just wild like how how much it made sense in that way and it's sort of um i think about this during this pandemic because it it feels like it's now been such a long time that I, i joke to my friends that it almost feels like it was a dream like was that real and it can almost reactivate that imposter syndrome yeah um but I find myself thinking about like how I got to where I was and and on the one hand you give yourself you have to give yourself the credit of all the hard work and the progress that you've done mm. and at the same time we know as performers that you don't really have control of how every how all the pieces fall in this industry so you have to have some degree of trust that the right things for you are going to work out mm. and I've done a million <laughs> auditions for all kinds of musicals and Broadway shows. So, but nothing felt more me than this ended up being. So yeah, yeah it was a very full circle moment. And I mean, really looking forward to getting to step into those shoes again. Um, yeah, there was almost a sense of relief because it was like, yes, here it is, of course. Perfect, like, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Oh gosh, what a beautiful moment for like, you know, for the stars to align like that. Like so much of your of your background sort of put into a show that you maybe never never even thought like, oh, of course, modern dance and West Side Story. Who, you know, like it's what? probably never been exactly <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, who saw that coming? Certainly right. not me. I, exactly. I with revivals, they almost always keep the original choreography. I don't think I've ever, there's ever been like a production of a chorus line with different non, was it? Oh. Right. I mean, I think that's part of the controversy of our revival is because yeah. West Side Story in particular is so famous for the choreography that it yeah. has. Like, so um, it's very bold move to mm. move away from that. But personally, I love bold moves. <laughs> right. And I just... I, I think there's something to be said about trying to take something that is considered iconic um, and really move it into the 21st century. And, yeah. and I, I will take and listen to all the criticisms that people have about the show um, because I think there's always room for improvement and like right. nothing is nothing is immaculate. And um, so I know that there's still 
issues that need to be worked out with it. And, and, but there was also so much juicy good stuff. And, mm. um, I, I really appreciated the intention that they brought to moving us into the 21st century. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we always ugh, feel like it's this age old thing where people are like, why is every, you know, people, we, I'm about to go on a tangent. I'm just trying not to get angry. <laughs> but with it's with both Broadway and with like Hollywood, just, I hate that terminology. It's like, you know, I do TV in New York, not Hollywood. Hollywood's over there in the West Coast. Um, but, you know, we hear constantly like there are no original musicals. It's all revivals or they're making like turning a movie into a musical and then they try and do yeah. something different and people are hating on it. Or with Hollywood, they try <laughs> right. and shake things up. They shake up the genre and people are like, Hollywood is, you know, nothing original, everything sequels and franchises. And then they try and make something new and no one goes to see it. And it's a box office bomb. Like, guys, come on, let's pick a lane here. They're like, be different. And then it's like, but not, not like this that. different. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're like, uh, be different, but not with this. Um, right. Yeah. You can't please everyone. Yeah. So... Because, you know, I, I agree that, that there is a lot of like musical to movie adaptation, movie to musical yeah. adaptation, lots of revivals. Um, and, and some are great and some are not so great, but, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, I understand we need to, um, you know, these producers need to make money, but also like right. we're in the business of creating stories as well, not yeah. just retelling them. Adapting. So, right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, hopefully our version is 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 like not just retelling but also to some degree a reinterpretation right um and and there's there's some new creation in that there's definitely i feel like what you guys did uh, unfortunately i didn't get to see it when it was when it was still on um but from what i understand just hearing folks comments and reading some of the reviews and seeing some of the stuff online um it's a middle ground like it's not like a complete re you know from the ground up sort of like reimagining or, or whatnot it, it's just it's a new direction it's it's similar to what they did with like arguably one of the more popular revivals of company where it was like acting musicians and super minimal and it wasn't like the traditionally staged mm-hmm. thing and, yeah, and i didn't get to see that and i was definitely so curious yeah i've, I've only seen like the the film like the dvd version of it um with raul esparza um but you know it's just really interesting how it's still so divisive because people are like, you can't touch a classic. You have to like leave it as perfect. I'm like, well, I don't want to see the same thing again with just different faces. Like, yeah, you you already have that perfect classic. So if you're going to do it again, I mean, especially I think on the massive scale with the kind of resources that Broadway has, um, I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, why not try? Right. Something different. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because it's such a timeless story and the story it was adapted from was just as timeless and it's always going to be. So like, why not shake things up and just try and make something different? Um, what was your audition process like for West Side Story? Was it like, cause I've heard from some of the Broadway guests I've had in the past, it's like super long and sort of egregious. Yeah. And for others, it's just like, for their particular experience, it was like very quickly. So what was it like for you? Yeah, um, I'm happy to say I did not have a super long drawn out experience. I was um, on my second 
ship contract doing another musical called Havana in 2018, mm -hmm. when I think they were doing a lot of the auditions across the country. So I know people in the cast who had done the, the earlier auditions for the workshop, and I was not here for that. So um, again, this is another moment where I felt like if something is aligned and meant for you, it's kind of like, yeah. it's coming for you. Um, because it was like spring, I think of 2019, and I had started getting more invited calls mm -hmm. from Telsey and co, because I think they had just seen me in a lot of, a lot of rooms. So I got an invited call out of the blue mm -hmm. for a, for a group audition for it. And I was like, oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like just one of those amazing things that show up in your inbox once in a blue moon. And, um, I went to that and it was, it was a long audition. It was like that first one, I think was like four hours and mm. we did quite a few different um, elements of auditioning, right? Yeah. You did like solo improvisation, we did choreography, we did group improvisation in multiple different ways. Mm. So, and it was actually is very reflective of the, a lot of the different kinds of training I've had um, in the past and some of the improvisation, a lot of the improvisation that I had to do in my Palabalus audition. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was kind of comfortable with those tools. And um, then it sort of turned into just a couple more days spread across that week and the next week. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it was somewhat drawn out and then I did that long first one and then I had to do a call back. Yeah. Um, and I had to sing a couple different times. Oh, so that's actually what happened first. Sorry, now I remember. <laughs> I got that email and I had to go into Telsey and sing first before I even danced a step. Yeah. That. And that was super nerve wracking um, because they get sent us some material to sing. One of which felt right for me, one of which felt totally not right for me. But I was like, all right, they just want to see your range. So like, just, you know, let's go for it. Yeah. And was I it was actually so, soprano? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was like it was like a, the, an alto piece and a more definitely more soprano piece, and I was like, "Give me all the alto stuff," <laughs> um, because I could even if I can physically hit all the soprano stuff, it doesn't mm. sound right for me to my ear on my voice. Gotcha. Um, anyway, so I was really grateful actually that I did that first, and then when I still got the callback to then go dance, I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." We like now we're in. We're in first. <laughs> And they still want to see me dance, so that's great. Um, then I did the four-hour dance call. Gotcha. Then I did a call back to dance again and, and sing again. And they video recorded, I think, my last call back. And at that point, it was just like two or three of us that day. Jeez. Um, so it was definitely <laughs> like very nerve-wracking, and there was definitely steps to the process. Huh. But that all happened for me those appointments all happened within, I think, the span of two or three weeks, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then a few weeks later, it was like, are you still available? You're still being considered. And I'm like, absolutely. And then another... <laughs> make myself available. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. And then another few weeks later after that, I got the email. And it was just like, oh, my God.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you also mentioned in your in the little questionnaire that I sent over, um, if I can quote you, you wrote, the, the hardest thing for me to deal with between jobs or contracts is finding ways to stay afloat financially so you can just keep going. Um, so what can you sort of tell us about that? Because you also mentioned sort of um, as an actor, I think it's very important for all of our listeners you have to be smart financially if you want to be an artist. You don't want to absolutely don't fall into that trap of like the starving artist. I hate that so much that people think that they have to be that, that you have to suffer. Yes, I abhor that stereotype oh, with horrible. a passion. <laughs> horrible, horrible, horrible. So yeah, tell us about that. What's um, what did you sort of learn along the way, and what um, can you yeah. share with our listeners? Well, the first like bone to pick I have with the industry, and the first thing I want to say about this is just that we have to be talking about it more honestly and more upfront. And I think that really starts within our training. And um, there's a way to do that without like immediately causing panic. (laughs) Mm. But um, so I've had to learn along the way. I will say that my parents as supportive as they have always been of my artistic career um, because they were sort of young parents when they had us and they had to hustle hard, they, we're also just realistic in the practical sense of like, you have to do what you have to do sometimes. Which yeah. is like, so if you have to just go find another side job that's just gonna put money in your pocket so that you can keep moving forward, then that's what you do. And it doesn't, there's no shame in, in doing something that you never expected yourself to be doing. So like, um, they're like if it's good, honest work, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. So I, um, I've done all the other, all the kinds of like side jobs that you normally do right out of school. I worked some retail job for a little while. And then when those hours ended up not being enough, I was talking to a friend who was like sort of further in the industry than me, who was running some of his own, um, performances as a producer. So I assisted him for a while on some projects and he connected me to a team at Webster Hall and I did Mm. overnight coat check from like gotcha. night to like yeah, the graveyard shift. <laughs> oh yeah, I did that. And what was wild about that is that Webster Hall is two blocks away from the NYU dorm hmm. that I had been staying in my final year as an RA. So it was humbling <laughs> a few months out of school to be around the block working graveyard shift, doing hmm. coaching. Um, so that was like, first big humble pill of like sometimes you just got to do what you got to do um because at that point I was just like dancing part-time with the local dance company here in the city in Chinatown and starting to um audition and and look for more opportunities like I just I I sort of had to learn how to look for work Um, so I've done that and then you know when I was on the ships or touring that was really awesome because I wasn't paying for rent and a lot of times my food budget was also like cut down in those situations so I immediately would um I immediately started paying off my student loans my on my first ship 
I just didn't like the idea of debt. And I knew that yeah. it was a gift to be in any kind of contract where I didn't have to pay rent. So I was like, you're going to start t- tackling that right away. Yeah. Um, so I established that habit very early. And my parents were also very clear about like not getting into credit card debt. So they didn't, they didn't teach me like the details. I've had to do a lot of self-learning. But they gave me some basic fundamentals about being really careful about how you use your credit and going out and getting a job and doing what you got to do to just keep money flowing. Um, So that has really helped me along the way to just stay grounded and to live within my means. Mm. And when I was, you know, on a great job, I could be more loose with myself and, you know, buy a really nice set of clothes and things like that. And when I was not, when I was (laughs) auditioning, and I ended up like waitressing at some restaurants. The last few years, I was a cater waiter between contracts because it was mm. just so flexible. That yeah. was really the sort of winning element of that. I knew how to be frugal and just, it was, it's definitely a little bit tiring to bounce back and forth between the sort of, um, you know, quote unquote, feast or famine mm. mindset, but learning how to really live within your means and to, be thoughtful about credit debt and saving is just super super crucial and um yeah yeah, i'm thinking about this even now and because i think you can be an artist your entire life but you may not always be able to make a living Mm. from that for multiple reasons so but you always need to make a living so sometimes you just need temporary solutions and sometimes you need to find a sort of longer term parallel career or you know parallel income stream and i'm actively thinking about those things right now yeah i mean you know i i've never been so because i sort of fell more into the tv and commercial side of things once i got to new york just because uh was not going to the big early morning calls that were like seeking dancers i'm like nope we're gonna skip this one uh um but um so I started working at a gym when I, like I moved to the city only um, a year, just over a year ago, last June. Oh, okay. um, and I started working at a gym and then, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then once I, once COVID happened and uh, once I moved back, cause I went to spend some time with my family in Connecticut, mm-hmm. um, like an hour and a half from here. Um, and once things got back, sort of things started reopening again in the city, the gym started reopening. Um, I knew there was a, uh, gap in a assistant manager position at the gym and i was like hey so um because you know i was like okay all of my auditions are self-tapes right now i don't need to be like openly flexible anymore at least for the time being because casting offices every casting director that i've talked to has said like yeah we're not gonna open our offices until there's like a widely available vaccine and we can have people in the room again um So I just figured, okay, get that self-tape set up at home and then just work a real job, work full-time yeah. and do what we can. Um, thankfully that opportunity came yeah. up, but I wanted to be a realist. I'm like, I don't need that open availability anymore. So why continue having it and being broke? You know, it's like, get the full-time job, get the raise and, and you know, work. And that's great. I mean, that's honestly a solution I'm trying to find for myself. Mm. It, I definitely took some time you know, at the beginning, I treated this pandemic just like as a pause. And then once things kept, Broadway kept getting, the reopening kept getting pushed back, yeah. then I, I think was grieving for a while. And honestly, 
just processing a lot, especially with when like BLM was really blowing up. Yeah. I was just doing a lot of learning and soul searching around that for a while. Yeah. Um, and, and it's only in the last few months that I really started to hone in on like career development and trying to get myself out there to get exactly what you're doing. It's like a, a full time or at least like really robust part time yeah. role <laughs> because I don't have to be showing up at auditions anywhere. So right. I, I have the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if it, I, I think anything that just keeps you going and doesn't drive you crazy, you know, like I don't recommend doing something you hate, but anything that you're like comfortable with and it's just going to keep you moving forward is, yeah. is a great solution. There's a quote by the writer of the book, Eat, Pray, Love. Um, her book. Elizabeth Gilbert. Love yes. Her. Big Magic. That was, that was that book that she wrote. Um, oh, and Big Magic. Is, um, it's one of my go-tos. Such a, such a great piece. And uh, there's a quote that um, during, I think it was like during a workshop someone mentioned and I dove into that book. Um, but the quote is basically like, there is no shame in having a job. What is shameful is holding your creativity hostage to pay for your entire existence. And I was like, yes. holy crap. Like it's, and we do it all the time. I, I know, like, you know, we were talking we're trained about. trained to think that way. Yeah. I really feel that we're trained to think that way. Yeah. We're conditioned to, to be like, if I'm not eat, eating, sleeping and breathing, art and and performing and all of that then i'm nothing it, it's just you're like questioning your self-worth in an industry that's already doing that so much like we don't have right. to do it to ourselves too it's 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 honestly it's it's unhealthy because mm -hmm. it's unbalanced it doesn't allow you to experience yourself as the multitude of things as th that you are like and it um it actually makes, I think, our world smaller. Mm. It puts us in tunnel vision. And the industry, don't get me wrong, like definitely requires that level of focus. Like, but um, I think it's really important to cultivate other parts of your identity along the way. Yeah. And now is actually a really good time to do that. Um, yeah. Because it, I, I really think that it's grounding and it makes us better artists because it makes you a fuller human being <laughs> to, yeah. to be connected to the world outside of the arts um, and yeah. to all the other parts of yourself. So absolutely. They're, 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 I, I definitely want to see the shame that we heap on ourselves for, yeah. for taking other kinds of work um, totally dissipated and definitely um. Alexandra Bellavan, a career coach at the Actors Fund, who I've been connecting with and taking workshops with the last few months, mm. is also a great crusader in this conversation. Um, and it's just necessary to acknowledge also that privilege is a huge part of this conversation. Yeah. I don't have the privilege of generational wealth. I don't like my parents are super supportive and they're, they're comfortable. I do have some level of privilege, like they have corporate jobs. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about their well-being. I don't have to worry about their finances. I always have a home to go back to. That in itself is a huge privilege. Yeah. But I do not have somebody who's going to stand by and just like pay my rent. Right. <laughs> so yeah. we need to be real about that. Yeah. And that's not for me. I'm not trying to like, shit on someone who does have that privilege like lucky you 
but we need to acknowledge that those are very different circumstances yeah. and our, if your artistic work is not constantly providing for you in a financial sense I mean that's just the reality for most artists so like let's not pretend it's a personal failure it's just right. a, a feature of the industry and everybody has to find the solutions to make it work in their own life um, without shame <laughs> yeah because there's still such a stigma um, about it about um, yeah. pursuing anything that's not the career path that you want and um yeah, it's just that's something that I, I hope we all, I mean, it, during just in the, over the length of, of, of my podcast, at this point, we're about to release our 30th episode. Um, nice. And it's that's 30 crazy conversations I've had. And, and, and a lot of people have realized during the pandemic when they finally had some time to themselves, they're like, uh, oh, I sucked at self care. I was not taking care of myself. I was not right. <laughs> sleeping. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. you know and and people you know thankfully with the you know with the unemployment benefits a lot of people were getting they were able to finally put a little money away and or reinvest it into themselves and and, and whatnot right. and savings become a thing that you're like yeah. wow that feels great <laughs> that's, this is like weird you know right <laughs> uh yeah for sure that's something definitely that i i mean I finally had the time to, to, to do a podcast before I was in, gosh, we can talk about burnout because that's something oh, that yeah. I went through horribly. It was, um, you know, I was working at the gym part-time, but as you said, it was a robust part-time. It was like mm-hmm. 37, 39.5 hours or right under that. enough to not give you benefits, but basically. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was very fortunate. They give benefits to part-time if you oh, oh, decide good. to enroll for it. But um, I was very fortunate with that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, working and opening up the gym at like 5am and then, you know, trying to work out and then it was just burnt and uh, trying to be in bed by like nine to wake up at, at five or four thirty or three thirty really. Um, and there was so much burnout that I didn't even have energy to like do an interview. So like my podcast, I wanted to start it originally last fall and it didn't start until May of this year because I was just so burnt out and it's something I really wanted to do. I always want, I love having these conversations with actors and, um, but yeah, have you ever, I'm sure you have, I'm sure we all have, but experienced burnout like that, like just yeah. overworking. I was, I think I was hitting that wall right around the time actually that the West Side audition came up. And gotcha. then when I, um, I think getting the offer is what, gave me this, like, I already knew I was, it was approaching the summer of 2019. And I was, like, I had returned from my second ship contract in the fall of 2018. And that was a very intense contract. I was dancing so much. I was performing nine times a week. And um, I was exhausted. But I also was like super focused on my financial goal at that point of being so close to getting rid of my student loans. Um, so when I got back to New York, I basically hit the ground running and was um, jumped right back into catering and then did some like sporadic US touring with Palabalus through the spring of 2019. Yeah. And Anne was trying to audition again because that was, that was sort of my full-time job whenever I was in the city. It was like mm-hmm. part-time work auditioning. And then I was going in and out for these like small performances, um, like shorter tours in the US. 
So come the end of that spring, I was like already super tired at the yeah. end of the ship contracts. And then I just didn't take a break in the fall or the spring. So by the end, by like the time summer was coming around, I lined, I had like a final two week tour internationally with, with Palabalas. And then I, I did the West Side audition and gave it my all. And um, was just like, I have to take a break. Like I knew <laughs> that that summer, I was gonna need to slow the F down. And catering I knew was gonna slow down anyway. And I felt like I had just enough money to like get through the slow season yeah. and take a break from auditioning. It's a slow season. Anyway. I was like, just really gonna give myself that permission anyway, because I, I just couldn't keep going. I just, mm -hmm. I was getting cynical is what sort of tipped me off to it. I could tell that I was becoming cynical about things. And my practical mind was turning into like a negative mindset, mm -hmm. which is not really who I am most of the time. So I was like, ooh, this is clearly a sign. Yeah. And then when I got that email saying like, here's your offer, we start in the fall. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> because I was like, now I really have like this extra layer of permit, not just permission really, but like an impetus to take the summer to rest. Yeah because I knew that like I was going to need as much energy as possible from my side. Yeah. So I took that summer to really rest a lot. <laughs> um, and it's super important. Self, the self-care thing. Absolutely. It's just like another thing we're not trained to keep in mind. And it's uh, definitely something I'm trying to practice a lot yeah. during this time. Like I'm trying to be way better at I always sleep a lot. That's not, that's pretty easy for me, but um, I think a lot of, or a lot of dancers, like you just pass out, but I suck at feeding myself enough, like, mm. and regularly enough for my crazy metabolism. Yeah. And especially if I have to like make all my meals myself, which is exactly what's happening right now. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm working on that skill a lot, like how to really Jeez. really like eat well not just yeah. like healthy but eat enough <laughs> yeah like romaine and a little you know it's not enough like that's something i feel like we all you know we're trying not to eat the the struggle meals of of the soup uh you know cup of noodles or, <laughs> or whatever <Right>. it is <laughs> um we're yeah like i mean that's a big thing too geez like you know i i grew up with i was very fortunate to grow up with a dad who was a chef so i learned Ooh. very early on to awesome. how to cook and you know, usually being in a Spanish family, everyone knows how to cook in some, in some, on some level. Um, yeah. So growing up around that was, 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 was really great. And once I moved out and moved, was living on my own practically, um, having that sort of to like fall back on and, and cause it's, it's a lot. And a lot of times if you're just completely exhausted, you're going to just like go grab a pop tart and then go to bed like you're <laughs> you have no energy <laughs> right. to like, go prepare a whole meal or or whatever yeah. you know it's like rice and beans is my go-to like all the time yeah <laughs> that's a meal prep rice and beans you've got the ingredients for a burrito <laughs> for for yeah. whatever throw an egg on it like <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so uh, before we wrap up i wanted to um have you tell us about speakeasy on demand uh yeah. which is a project that um when did you start working on that was that during COVID or was that um yeah pre? okay so it's like it's like uh really the one big project that I've been able to do um and I'm just so blessed it was created and conceived by Holly Ann Devlin a theater director 
and producer who I worked with during my second ship contract uh, for Norwegian. I had been hired originally to do the Havana show that was, um, that was directed and choreographed by Warren Carlisle. Mm. But in addition, once I showed up there, much to my surprise, I ended up being also part of this smaller musical ensemble called Prohibition, the musical, which was also a new show. And it was Holly Ann's conception with her team from um, her Happy Hour Entertainment mm. um, company. And that was very much like it was a... Uh... Anyway, I, I don't want to go into that one, but um, <laughs> it was like song and dance and immersive type a musical where you're interacting with the audience. So it ended mm -hmm. up being super fun. So what she did was she sort of used some of that material and reworked it for this new um, concept called Speakeasy, which is a digital streaming show that is available right now. And um, it's sort of set in this burlesque prohibition era in terms of our costuming for us of the hosts. Oh. However, it's just a general Speakeasy concept and it features I think at least like 10 different independent acts in mm. the whole show. Um, so there's burlesque ladies, like famous one named Miss Miranda, who's in that. There's a shock illusionist. There's multiple, there's like break dancers and hip hop dancers. Mm. Um, there's us doing our sort of like acting musical theater numbers in the beginning to welcome you to the show, as well as doing these sort of transition comedic bits mm. um, with our host our Madame Lulu character yeah. um, between the acts to really link them together. And then the really exciting part that's very smart business-wise on her end as well is that she linked up with Bar Lab and Absolute Licks, um, the alcohol producers, to create like five specific cocktails that are connected to the show. Oh, okay. Part of, part of the streaming ticket is that you get this awesome cocktail kit that makes 10 cocktails. You get five cocktail recipes, but two servings of each. Uh -huh. um, and it gives you everything you need. It has the like specific cocktail mix, alcohol, garnishes, and it's like super well done. It's super fun. Um, so that's a huge part of the show because we actually have comedic bits around the cocktails weaved into the show that we recorded. Mm. Um, which, is, which is a tool she had in her Prohibition show. So I just happened um, I was available, I was in New York, and uh, a few of us from my cast, who were the original cast on Norwegian for that show, were available to do it. So she, because we were gonna work so well together already, hmm. um, she tapped us to do the filming of it. And it happened very quickly. She, I think she let us know maybe towards the end of August or in September, was checking in to see if we'd be up for it. It was done super, you know, COVID safe with, with different protocols around testing beforehand mm. and after and all this stuff. Um, but it was, we shot it very quickly. We just spent four days in LA and, huh. uh, you know, like I was only in the hotel or the venue <laughs> yeah. for that, for those four days. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just like a super fun project and a really big effort on her part. Yeah. Uh, her agents, I think, at MSA also have been a huge part of assisting in this whole project. So it's just like, a, I think, a really bright spot in a really dark time <laughs> for yeah. the whole entertainment sector. It's a super exciting idea. It features all kinds of artists. So I feel like there's something for everybody. Mm. Uh, and, you know, even if you don't drink, I think the whole cocktail 
inclusion concept kit is like just super fun. <laughs> yeah, that's super. That's ugh, I love how innovative uh, people have gotten during this time. Like we've had, um, gosh, with that, I mean, that's genius. Like having basically like it's almost like a drinking game, or it's like whatever you know. Like you said, like yeah, there's it has like a, things. Like elements of that. <laughs> yeah, that's so so smart. Um, and, you know, there have been like a number of other like series and, and, and whatnot that were like filmed during COVID centered around that story and uh, or like filmed in isolation. They sent like the actors, the cameras. There was an NBC show called um, uh, Connecting, um, created by the creator of a show that I, I previously worked on. Um, but they basically it's like, oh, like they're all on the Zoom. That's what the show is about. It's like Zoom conference. And that's just right. it's so so cool to hear how I've, so many people have gotten so innovative and still creating and, and all of that to um, not just to create art, but to also, um, you know, get people work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a huge part of uh, her impetus, right? Like if she there's her own personal investment that she is a producer and yeah. she also wants to continue to create and, and direct and write things and um, wanted very clearly to give so many of the artists that she knows and loves work. Yeah. Oh. So oh. obviously we're like super grateful to her yeah. for, for doing that and to just, I mean, she, she works like crazy. Like, I don't know how she does it. So <laughs> it was a huge undertaking. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, where can people uh, watch? So you just go directly to the website. It's www.speakeasyondemand, as one full word, dot com. Mm. Um, and you just go right into the website. There's a few different options for it. There's like a, I think there's a new option where you can, in addition to getting the streaming ticket, the basic cocktail kit, you can also get the sort of VIP special bar wear. So if you want oh. special glasses and like the yeah. special shaker and all that, you can really go ham. That's a great Christmas gift for anyone yeah. who's thinking something like that too. Um, and then there's the your classic VIP ticket, which is the cocktail kit basic with the tick with you know the streaming ticket. Um, and you sort of pick the week that you want access to stream the show, and that's when you'll have access to it. And uh, I think there's now even a sort of more minimal option for anyone who doesn't want the cocktails. You know, if you don't drink for whatever reason you can just get the streaming ticket as well. So unfortunately we're coming to the end of our time, uh, but I always like to wrap up with a rapid fire round. So we're gonna put 90 seconds on the clock and we'll see how many questions we can get through. Ooh. Let me just pull up my questions. <laughs> Alrighty. And we're going to start with uh, coffee or tea? Coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Uh, singing or dancing? Dancing. Drama or comedy? Say that again. Drama or comedy? Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> Drama. Uh, hero or villain? Villain. <laughs> uh, who is your dream onstage partner? Oh, my God. That, well, we have to go back to that one. I have to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> what is the worst side job that you've had? Mm. Uh, probably the retail <laughs> uh, what's your most recent binge watch Ooh, I watched the entire new Selena series on Netflix I will always have a soft spot for J-Lo's original play but <laughs> it was really fun to see this new take uh, if you weren't a performer what would you be doing for a living uh, I'd be in like the communications realm somewhere probably in media uh, what is your favorite musical of all time? Uh, 
have to admit, I haven't seen too many, but <laughs> um, so I have a limited catalog, but it's, it's gotta be between West Side Story and Hamilton. Hmm. Uh, if you could be in the revival of any show, what would it be? Mm. Or in the production of any show? It doesn't have to be a revival. Hard. I'm really interested in the new revival of Aida. That's mm. for sure. And I, would, I was thinking, actually, I would love to be in the first musical production of Selena. <laughs> of any kind of Selena. Oh, love it. Oh, let's make that happen. Oh, that's such a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it'll be like on, uh, on your feet, the Gloria Stefan musical. Um, yeah, I did actually some gigs for them. Like, oh, did you? Promotional, some promotional gigs for them. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, so that's time. Uh, so uh, last question, I always like to end on this one. In 10 words or less, what advice would you give to a young performer? Uh, never lose sight of the joy and the light within you. And that is it for this week's episode of Actors with Issues with special guest Marlon Felice, who you can follow on Instagram at Marlon the Femme. That's M A R L O N T H E F E M M E. Follow me at Juaniala Official and follow us at Actors with Issues. Big thank you to our sponsor, Anchor, for supporting the show. Head on over to anchor.fm to get started on your very own podcast, 100% free. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. You can catch new episodes every Friday across all podcasting platforms. I'm Juan Yala, and we'll see you next week.